You're listening to Bits of Me, the podcast about women's bodies, all the things we should know about them, and all the stories behind them. Around 1 in 10 women, or possibly more, will at some point in their lives experience vaginismus, a condition that causes the pelvic floor muscles to involuntarily tighten, making sexual intercourse and tampon use very difficult or impossible. Relationship and sexuality educator Grace Alice O'Shea is one of them. In this episode, she tells me what it was like for the eight years she lived with the condition, how she finally got help, and what she makes of the current climate for talking about these issues. So just to set the scene, do you want to um, tell me a little bit about where you grew up in rural Kerry and what it was like there? Yeah, um, so I grew up in a village called Milltown and it's getting bigger now, but it is it was quite a small village and I actually grew up um, bang in the centre of the town and then we later moved out a little bit more to the countryside and um, it was really nice actually. My dad was a baker, so we lived in front of a bakery, so a lot of my childhood was running through the bakery basically no health and safety of course um and <laughs> tormenting all the bakers that were there but um I remember asking them to play Polly Pocket at one stage and they were like oh my god I'm trying to work but it was just a lovely um I have a lot of lovely memories from there um yeah. and I lived there with my parents and my older brother and yeah and then we kind of moved out again a bit more into the countryside and I went to school in Milltown as well which was you know a five minute walk away which was actually quite a big school for kind of a, a rural enough area. It was about over 500 students roughly. Okay, so it, yeah. was, it was actually popular enough. Um, and yeah, it was kind of just, I think, your standard experience of kind of growing up in Kerry and that you're not really near a big city. So a lot of the excitement is um, in the nearby town or you know, I remember the teenage discos and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I went to primary school as well there. It was an all girls primary school. When I went to secondary school, it was mixed. Okay. And um, yeah, like, you know, nothing kind of, it wasn't a particularly, say, you know, religious upbringing or religious town as such. Um you know, I, I definitely used to go to mass and stuff because I suppose that's what everyone did, whereas I don't think anyone in the family really does anymore. You know, a lot has changed. Yeah. And, 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 and so w- when you got your period, um, mm-hmm. what was it that made you think that, hold on a second, something might be wrong here? Yeah, well, basically it was, um, well, first of all, my periods were not what I was expecting. They were really, really heavy and very like loads of pain. So I would actually get, you know, you, you, I get the cramps, which were compared to what I get now. I mean, they were so, so bad. Um, mm. Even all around like my labia would hurt, like it would, they would almost, it would almost like throb with pain um and my actual kind of vagina would hurt etc and just used to bleed for a long time as well so I remember at one point um I was kind of bleeding for nearly up to two weeks so really heavy periods I know I know um really heavy periods started out just using pads which I think you know most most people do I think when they're starting off and that was fine 
So then I decided I wanted to use tampons, of course, because, you know, especially when you're in the pads and if they're quite big as well, you know, they're so obvious and it's really awkward kind yeah. of changing them and carrying them around and trying to fit them up your sleeve at school because that's what we kind of yeah. have to do. Um, and then basically when I tried to use tampons, I'll never forget the first time I tried to use tampons. It's funny the things you remember. Um, a Pussycat doll song was playing on the radio. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. <laughs> and I remember the song playing in the background and just this, I was like, it's it's just not going in. It actually really hurts. Um, it felt like hitting a brick wall, like essentially. Um, mm. And that's what a lot of people with vaginismus will say. It's It's just coming up against like a wall. Um, and there was really kind of no give. And then, of course, yeah. you get upset, you get distressed, uh, which compounds the problem, which makes you more anxious and more tense. And then try and put mm. in another one and it doesn't work and you're going through them. And, you know, next thing you know, maybe you've gone through six tampons have gone in the bin and none of them have gone in. And I think that's initially when I thought, is it supposed to be this difficult? Yeah. And were you talking to your friends about this stuff back then or what was the culture like? I not at the very beginning, say when I started to use them, but kind of as I went later into my teens, um, I kind of would mention just test the waters a bit and say, you know, I have a bit of difficulty with using them. And there would be some friends who would say the same, but we never yeah. went into great detail. And to this day, I still don't know you know, did they have some form of vaginismus or was it kind of your standard just getting used to them? Um, yeah, because, you know, you can put them in if they're not in far enough, you can feel them. And there's all that kind of trial and error at the beginning. Um, but like I remember one of my closest friends at the time, she was like, you just stick it in. That's all you do. Just stick it up there. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, that's it's not really happening. And, you know, that kind of and, and she obviously didn't mean that, but it kind of made me feel worse because I was like, is it mm. that simple? Um, but the culture, I think, would have definitely have lent towards using tampons. There was kind of this almost like a lot of girls would compare wearing pads to wearing nappies, as in they'd be like, you yeah. know, it's it's gross. Like just use a tampon because then you, you know, it's way cleaner. And this language would be kind of thrown around around cleanliness and um, just to be nicer, you know. So that yeah. probably didn't help either with um, the stress I was yeah. feeling. And when did you first hear about vaginismus? So it was, um, from my memory anyway, I think it was a doctor that said it to me. So when this was going on for a while and I talked to my mom about it, and again, she just thought it was kind of your normal trial and error at the beginning. Mm. And when I went to, I suppose then as I kind of, you know, you kind of just shove something to the back of your mind if you don't know how to deal with it, especially at that age. But then I got to the stage where I wanted to engage in like penetrative um, sex or even just like having fingers inside me, etc. with boyfriends. You know, I kind of obviously wanted to do all that. Mm. And then that wasn't happening either. So then I was mm. like, OK, like I'm really turned on. I'm really aroused. I'm, you know, all the bits are in place for me to, you know, do something like this, but it's not happening. So then mm. I did go to the, you know, started talking to healthcare professionals, which overall wasn't a good experience over the years. But um, I think that's when I first started. A doctor said, the family doctor at home, of course, um, that you might have what's called vaginismus. And mm. 
Of course, then I go home and I Google it 20,000 times. And yeah, there didn't seem to be any kind of, there wasn't really much um, support or comfort to be found online at that point anyway about vaginismus. Mm. It was very much, you know, it's a problem. It exists, you know, go to therapy kind of thing. Um, Yeah. That's all I remember reading anyway. So when you say that going to healthcare professionals um, wasn't a very good experience at the beginning, in what ways was that not a good experience? Um, I guess I just felt that I wasn't being heard every time I went. And I think they just maybe didn't know basically what to do or how to help me. And therefore, in kind of instead of maybe just saying that, and I know that's probably hard for a healthcare professional to say, but it is you are better off just saying it that I'm not sure, but you know, I'm gonna figure it out or we're gonna look into it. Mm. It kind it kind of felt like I was being quite dismissed. So, you know, I was told and like I'd have to build up so much courage to go back each time and um you know again rurally you see people you go to school with in the waiting room like it's a big kind of challenge to talk about something that you think is so wrong about yourself so I kind of had a lot of it'll get easier as you get older um it uh use smaller tampons was another thing I was told um when I started going to therapy I remember I was going to I ended up going to a sex therapist. Um, I, I eventually found one. And again, really hard to access, very far away, quite expensive, which is fair enough. But, you know, um, just a lot of barriers to getting there. Um, yeah. She she kind of said, you know, some women don't overcome vaginismus and get that breakthrough until they're 60. And that's OK. And I'm sitting there, at, you know, wow. such a young age thinking, I can't wait till I'm 60. Like, you Mm. know, I couldn't even conceptualize what that would mean, what that would be like for me, what it would mean for my life. Um, And then, of course, I had a traumatic experience with a doctor. And I'm not sure, was it a doctor or a nurse? I actually can't remember. It doesn't really matter. Um, Who was very matter of fact, which, you know, some professionals just are. And she kind of said, do you know where your vagina is? And I said, you know, when you're at that age, you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of said, I, I think so. I think that's what I said, even though like I did know where it was. It's just she kind of had me yeah. doubting it for a second. I said, I think so. And she goes, hop up on the table there, take off your underwear, whatever. And of course, I'm in my head. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, what's going to happen? You know, just terrified. And she just kind of put on her gloves, whatever. And um she just literally just without communicating anything just like jabbed at my opening of my vagina and Mm. said this is where it is this is where the tampon is going I remember this bolt of pain moving through my body and I was just genuinely in shock I'll never forget that I went home and I was you know I felt just so much so hopeless and just so at the time I was probably you know in shock and probably a bit traumatized as well um, yeah, which I still am really angry about that that happened. You know, it shouldn't have happened. It's there's really no excuse for that whatsoever. Yeah. But so that just give you an idea of kind of what my experiences were like going to um, healthcare professionals at that time. Yeah, and at what point did you decide that you were going to travel for treatment? Yeah, so it was quite later on, and. Um, I was Googling it as usual, as I do. 
And what had happened was I kind of was in a relationship from the age of, I think it was 20 to 21-ish, kind of a year and a half there. And the relationship was, unfortunately, it was abusive. It was physically abusive. It was emotionally abusive. Um, it was a very, very bad time. And I do think my vaginismus played a role in landing me in such a relationship because I think my self-esteem and self-worth was so low and I kind of thought who will have me, you know, that kind of that kind mm. of horrible way of thinking yeah. and did end up in this relationship, which was, you know, very, very toxic. Um, but I was at that point, I was able to experience some penetration. Um, so never was able to use tampons, actually. Yeah. Never when it wasn't in a sexual setting. That was still very much my body was not having it. Um, but there was some, um, let's say, breakthrough when it came to penetration um, uh, during sex. Mm. Um, but it was still, you know, lost the time. It was difficult and painful mm. and then overwhelming. So basically that relationship ended and funny it was like the day it ended I googled vaginismus again because this was just something I did kind of all the time yeah. just hoping someday something would come up and on the first page it came up uh, it said Botox treatment for uh, vaginismus and I was like oh haven't heard of this before mm. like I just thought Botox was something you put in your face <laughs> um, and I clicked into it and it was basically this a clinic in America and what they were doing it was led by a doctor called Dr. Pasik and they were basically um, putting you under anesthetic and um, injecting the vagina with some Botox which obviously dissolves after a few months but injecting the vagina with Botox to stop the muscles tightening yeah and then they put a dilator inside you when you are asleep so you wake up basically and the whole idea is that psychological switch that you, you know, unfortunately have lost control of when it's severe vaginismus yeah. has been flicked. There's actually something inside you. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. You know, you you have basically been penetrated and there is something there. And then you begin um, dilation treatment with different size dilators. So this is what I was reading. And I, to me, I wasn't one bit scared, one bit worried. I'd never been, had an operation. I hate needles. Yeah. And I was just like, I am going, like I am going. That is exactly what I need. I was like, I think I could be in therapy for years. Mm. And that woman was still in my head saying I could be 60. And I was like, no. Um, so the next morning I woke up and I remember I thought it was a dream as in I literally thought it was a dream. Like I thought I had dreamt it. And I was like, oh God, please let me not have dreamt it. And when I Googled it again and saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, great. So it was quite quick then. So that was in, say I discovered the page in I think it was January and by June I was in the States getting the wow. treatment like I told my mom straight away and I said look <laughs> unfortunately at first it said it was in Manchester and I thought it was Manchester in England so I was delighted it was actually <laughs> Manchester in New England in the States oh, no. so I was like oh my god um I was like mom look I just I just have to go like this is you know, I was reading so many testimonials from women on the site and I was like, this seems like an actual cure for me. Mm. And 
she was just like, okay, like she's amazing. She's just, she's just the best. She's fantastic. And she took out a loan, you know, to pay for the travel and the treatment mm. cost. I can't actually remember, but it did cost a few thousand in total. Um, yeah. And she traveled over with me and everything. And I mean, I couldn't like how fortunate am I to have someone to do that for me? And there's so many who probably don't yeah. have the means to do that. So and that's a whole other absolutely you know, yeah. story. But for me, luckily, I was able to go over and absolutely beside myself. Couldn't wait. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I went over in June. We didn't tell anyone because, again, it's not something I was openly talking about. Mm. And there was just... We just decided not to tell anyone. We said I was going over for um, a treatment on my teeth because I have a lot of issues with um, just different things going on with my teeth all my life. And I had the treatment and it just, yeah, it it just worked like from day one. Um, I've never looked back. It's amazing. It's been incredible. I still can't believe it happened yeah. at times, to be honest. Um, you know, I had vaginisms for, or I was aware of it for eight years. Wow. That's eight years of struggling psychologically, physically with that. And then in one day mm. to make that transition. Yeah. So it, it was amazing. Is that treatment available elsewhere now? Do you know? I've had a look and I can't see, I can't, um, I, I really don't think it's available in Ireland. Mm. Um, there's a website called Maze Women's Health, Maze is an M-A-Z-E, womenshealth.com. And basically Dr. Pasik retired, <clears throat> I think in 2015, but he trained um, a team of professionals and they are now doing this treatment in New York. But I actually couldn't tell you when I was there, I met <clears throat> two couples and two women had the procedure on the same day as me. Like the way they even did it was lovely that you weren't in there on your own. Mm. And it was a few days of a a few days kind of process. So you'd go and get the treatment or the procedure on the first day, but you'd come back and you'd have group therapy. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you'd get to chat to the people. And one person had come from. Washington and one person had come from I think it was New Zealand or Australia it was one yeah. of the two so there were people traveling all over the world to this little clinic I mean it's it's mad to think about it but um I suppose in the last few years I'm not sure is is the is the shorter answer I really am unsure yeah. where else it is available um I know at the time I was getting it which was in 2014 it was deemed to be, you know, cosmetic in Ireland. Yeah. So it just wasn't happening. Uh, and, and it isn't cosmetic. Well, not what I was getting it for anyway. Yeah. So. so when you say that you weren't telling anyone at the time what you were going over for, um, do you think that was because you were embarrassed? Or was it just, you know, the simple fact that people don't walk around talking about vaginal surgery or treatment <laughs> like that? Oh, I, I think it was absolute embarrassment and shame about it, unfortunately. Um, I just, I mean, again, I had eight years behind me of torturing myself. And like, I would have anxiety in a way. I've always been um, an anxious person since I was a very, very little person. And thankfully, it's greatly improved. But during my teenage years, it was very, very bad. And I just thought, you know... I was kind of like useless in a way because I couldn't like I didn't even have control of my own body. I felt just so ashamed. I felt like 
not like a valid woman and Mm. I was so you know this had built up for years and the way you're kind of valued as a woman a lot of the time or the messages we get from the media is you know your desirability and being sexy and also kind of being submissive and all these things and I like would describe myself as a very sexual person. I've always had a very like high sex drive, very curious, was masturbating from a young age. So to to not be able to actually basically use my vagina was the most, it was so embarrassing to me. I just thought I was broken in some way. Yeah. The thought of people knowing was horrifying mm. to me, which is so ironic because now I'm talking about it on a podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I know, but things are so different now and there is so much more awareness and support. And like, I know, I know a few people now at Vaginism. Mm. So, but but I knew no one at the, you know, for those years, there was no one. Mm. I really felt so, so, so alone in it. Mm. Um, It's incredibly lonely experience, actually. Yeah. um, If you are keeping it to yourself and if there isn't that understanding and knowledge around it as well. Yeah. I mean, looking at you now, a sex educator in, in Galway, it's quite the journey, isn't it? Coming from somebody who was struggling like that in Kerry in your teens and then now talking the way you do on Instagram and with loads of different people about all these things. Um, do you think that your experience played a part in where you ended up professionally or how did you how did you end up going on that journey, do you think? I think it definitely played a part. Um, To be honest, I've always, you know, as I said, like I was masturbating from a young age, um, really kind of in touch with my sexuality, ironically, even though I wasn't Mm. in touch with my vagina, um, and was always fascinated by sex, I guess, and, you know, and relationships and just how people experience intimacy and how they connect, etc. There always was that fascination there. And I think... It's very Irish to say this, but, you know, I if you had told me at 18, oh, there's a course in sexology you can do. I probably would have loved to have done it, but I wouldn't have done it because I would have been mortified. Yeah. People would be like, you know, oh, the baker's daughter is going being a sex coach or something. You know, you just there was so much and there can be still, of course, and um, so much stigma around kind of working in these areas, which is it's just ridiculous. It's so outdated. But. Mm. Um, I mean, I fell into it, I suppose, a little bit accidentally in the sense that I was doing, I trained as an occupational therapist, first of all. Um, And one thing that stood out to me is as an OT, you're talking about illness, um, disability, um, injury, dysfunction, all that. And, you know, I had a sexual dysfunction. And one thing that was not covered in the course was sexuality. Um, I think maybe we got one lecture if and I don't actually remember this. So I was told that we someone thought we had one. So, you know, just we were learning about how to empower people to walk, to talk, to write, to speak again, whatever it is. But we weren't talking about sex and intimacy. And it definitely stood out to me. I was like, you know, I've struggled with this. Mm probably countless others and when I was in college people were starting to talk more openly anyway about sex Mm. um so once I was done occupational therapy I ended up doing a master's in health promotion straight away and at the time 
my interest was in body image because I had body image issues going on as well. Um, and basically, I did an unpaid placement as part of the master's in Sexual Health West, which is where I currently work. And I just loved it. And I was offered a job and it just kind of happened, to be honest. And um, I'm so glad it did because I really do think this is like my calling. Yeah. You know, I I want to be in the sexuality field for the rest of my life. I can confidently say that which is amazing. It's very fortunate to be able to say that. But I do think it has, it, my experience of vaginismus definitely plays a role in, you know, me as an educator. I think I wouldn't wish what I went through on anyone. I really wouldn't. And it could have ended another way. It could have yeah. gone very badly. You know, I was, there was very dark times and, you know, it's hard in the in the context of this podcast and, you know, to actually go into the depths of it. But you can imagine, you know, if someone is struggling with something like that mm. for years, um, you know, it is it, you do have some very dark times. But at the same time, it did happen to me. And I thankfully kind of came out the other side of it and grew from it. And it has made me kind of more, certainly more passionate Um more empathetic and patient and kind of all those things that we kind of associate maybe not as professional traits but they actually are professional traits yeah. they're extremely helpful to me you know people thankfully and I, I love when people say this they tell me I'm really easy to talk to and that I'm really that I have a kindness about me when I teach and like that's better than any compliment I could ever get yeah. on you know, it really is. It warms my heart so much. Um, and I do think that that experience, I suppose, kind of softened me a bit. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just so passionate about, I suppose, everything from women's rights to sex positivity to just breaking down all these stigma that we have. Even like the tampon ad this year, I was yeah. raging about that, you know, and that's something I wouldn't probably have thought of, you know, before all this. But um, when you're in this field, I think, you know, once you start noticing stuff yeah. and how women's bodies are talked about and treated, you cannot stop noticing that. And I'm sure you're the same. Absolutely. You see it everywhere, yeah. every day. Um, Do you think that... Um for young people now, like if a teenager today was having the kind of issues that, that you were having, do you think it's changed in terms of uh, how people talk about it or the kind of information that's out there or the services they might be able to access? Um, do you think it would be different? Yes, I think it would be different. I really do. I think if someone has vaginismus nowadays, um, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, if I had it now as a teenager, Mm. Like there's so many, even on Instagram, there's so many vaginismus awareness and support pages. So there is information. Yeah. There is a very much a feeling of hope and community and solidarity, which I love. And oh, my God, I wish I had that. You know, that's yeah, it's priceless. But at the same time, it's not the answer. You know, there is when it comes to treatment is where I'm kind of worried about. And, you know, of course, there's sex therapy, there's your counselling. And, and again, we're breaking down stigma around looking for mental health help. Um, there's dilation therapy. But like some people can't afford dilators. Some mm. people certainly can't afford to go to the States and get an operation and shouldn't have to. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, for me, my first time going under anaesthetic was 
you know, across the ocean mm. with my mom and no one else knew. I mean, I know I was so excited about the outcome and just, you know, wanted to do it. But when you really think of that, that's no woman, no person should have to do that. Yeah. And it's the same with, you know, we shouldn't have had to travel to England for abortions. Like you should be able to access healthcare in and go home to your own bed and your family and, mm. you know, your just be at home um so like I I think young people today they I don't envy them because there is more information which is great and I think there is more um or less stigma I should say but like there's still this kind of like I think as a society we're we have this really unfair view of women as kind of like we're these really hardy creatures with endless stores of resilience and tolerance and we'll take whatever is thrown at us and and we'll you know we still are expected to be kind of caring and nurturing and soft and lovely as well on the other side of it and be likable and nice and we do it because we're amazing like really we are but we shouldn't have to do it and you know especially now with social media more than ever I think society is or we live in a society which is it's it's obsessed with the female form Mm. like you know we have and I'm not making a statement on on sex work or pornography or anything like that but you know it's just the accessibility we you know sex sells we even have like drag is huge now um we've an explosion of kind of the use of only fans and um mainstream porn so We're seeing the female body. And when I say female, I obviously someone of any gender can have breasts and the whole lot. But just the female form, we see it being consumed and young people have to see this, that it's being consumed all the time. But still, when it comes to research and healthcare and prioritizing women's um, comfort and safety and bodily autonomy, it's still not it's still not happening in a lot of ways. And. The Tampax ad is one example. Mm. Um, the last day I was driving home in the car and I went on a rant about this on Instagram, the, there was some announcement that, you know, women who are currently pregnant and are worried about not having their partners with them should consider home births. And I was so, I was actually raging yeah. in the car. I was like, that's your solution. Just do it at home. Like, mm. you know, and we've had cervical cancer scandal, breast cancer scandal, um, you know, again, abortion only came in last year. So there is this, I think there is this pressure on, say, young women, again, from kind of all this, they still have to do this thing where they're sexy and they're, you know, online and they look great and editing and they have the lips yeah. and the breasts and the bum and the tiny waist and all this. But like still, we're having tampons ads banned because people don't like the way the reference to the vagina was worded so it's not a new problem I just think nowadays and in relation to vaginismus and sexual issues for people with vaginas like it's easier in some ways but in other ways it's not you know it's it's a very complex complex society that we live in when it comes to our you know our treatment of women and our attitudes towards women's bodies yeah I think That was Grace Alice O'Shea on Bits of Me. You can follow Grace on Instagram where you'll find her as Grace underscore Alice underscore sex underscore educator. 
and do keep an eye out for her brand new website as well, which will be ready soon. You can follow Bits of Me at bitsofme underscore podcast on Instagram and on bitsofme underscore pod on Twitter. I would really appreciate if you'd take a minute to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. Thanks for listening.